Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 10 of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter at Inside West End, or if you want to contact us, then email Inside the West End at gmail.com. Coming up, we speak to one of the most prominent casting directors in the UK. It's Debbie O'Brien. When Ben and I started making this podcast, we were really keen on getting a casting director in front of the microphone. We couldn't believe our luck when Debbie said that she would do it. Uh, we wanted to hear what it's like being on that side of the panel, ask all those sort of audition questions that Ben and I have as performers, but also hear how do you become a casting director? It's quite a specific job. So we met up with her one afternoon, and here's the chat we had. This is Debbie O'Brien, and you're listening to Inside the West End. Debbie O'Brien, welcome to Inside the West End. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, a lot of the people listening to this are not necessarily performers, so we thought we'd open straight away with the question, what is your definition of what a casting director is and does? A casting director is the person who chooses who the creative teams see before they do the auditions. So I look at the either the play or the musical and I look at the roles that we'll be looking for and then I ask the agents who they've got they might want to suggest or I come up with ideas of people we want to see and then we put the list together and the, that list of people is who the director sees for the show. And once you're in the room and you've, you've got the, pe- the person there who you're sitting and watching doing the audition, from that moment, does the, the role continue? As in, or does it vary depending on who the director is? It depends on the show. Uh, usually people don't understand that at the end of the day it is the director's decision or the musical director's decision or the choreographer's or everybody working together. And the casting director will have an input into that, but it's not their final decision on most shows it may be different with other casting directors but it's my job to make sure they see a lot of people and if they ask me questions about those people or what I've seen them in or what else they've done then I'll give them my input and they might ask my opinion on things but at the end of the day it's their decision because after all they're the people who have to get the performances out of those you know at the uh, rehearsal stage and into performance and so what was it that led you to be a casting director? Who were, who were you as a young person? I started in theatre by going to youth theatre as a 16-year-old when I had just finished my O-levels, which only your older listeners will know about. And in that summer, they started a youth theatre in uh, the town I grew up in, which was Basildon. And uh, I hadn't thought of any idea of going working in theatre until that point. I then went to university and did drama. And when I left university... I became an ASM in the West End Mm -hmm. and I was really lucky that the first show I worked on, it was a new show going into the Shaftesbury Theatre with Terence Stamp in the title role of Dracula and they hadn't quite finished casting the understudies and um, 
a couple of the roles when I started on the show. And I got to work with Celestia Fox, who um, I just helped at auditions. I then worked on uh, Annie at the Victoria Palace and helped on the auditions for the children and became the casting, uh, the children's administrator on Annie. And Celestia was the casting director on that. And after that, I gradually did more and more casting. I mean, I've done every job in theatre. And so gradually you just find what you're good at and what you should never touch again, you know. And, and uh, so becoming an ASM was, was great because it, I, I'd done lots of the stuff that you need as an ASM while I was at university. And, of course, when you're at university, you're allowed to fail, as it were. You know, you, they literally give you a theatre and say, here you go. Mm. <laughs> See you at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and that's, that's despite all the academic stuff you learn. <laughs> so you've sat through... I mean, I'd imagine thousands and thousands of auditions. Um, two of us as performers, we have to ask you, what, is, what, are the, what are the most common mistakes that you feel people make in auditions? Um, and what are the most common misconceptions that you think people have as they approach that? The biggest mistake people make is not preparing properly. And um, I always... Find what, what I find most extraordinary is how nervous performers get, even when they've been in the business for years and years and years, how nervous they get at auditions. Some people never lose that. Um, but I just have to say, you just have to pretend this is a performance because if you come in and you fall apart with nerves, then the team can't look at you and think, oh, that'll be fine when three things go wrong on the opening night mm-hmm. and, um, you know, how are they going to deal with it? So... That, that's the biggest problem, I think. But not preparing is a real issue. I mean, I was doing auditions recently, uh, last week for a show, where the performers had two weeks' notice of their recall. And you would be really surprised how many of them came in. They only had to learn two songs. And several of them came in having not learned the songs and had to hold a piece of paper or didn't re- clearly thought, oh, I know this song and didn't learn it properly. And that's not doing themselves any favour. But from my point of view, it's really embarrassing from, you know, because the team are saying, well, did you not give them the information? Actors also lie about it. I mean, one actor on, on that occasion said, oh, my agent only told me last night. But, you know, we know that's not true. But it's, it just, it doesn't do you any favours and it seems such an odd thing when there's so many people looking for work that you wouldn't give yourself the best opportunity. Some of the people we've spoken to, some of the actors we've spoken to, when we've talked to them about their audition technique or whatever that is, have uh, said, you know, when I go for auditions, I'm not concerned about learning the lines. It's not important to me. It's not a memory test. I don't, where do you sit on that? It's not a memory test. Um, if you make the odd mistake on some words, then nobody's going to worry. But if you look like you've not even bothered to look at the script before you come in, then people aren't going to take you seriously. And directors will say to actors in, a, in an audition, well, it's not a memory test. Mm. They say that all the time. And they want to see that you know what you're doing. Um, they don't mind if you... You know, if you get two words around the wrong way or, you know, two sen- ten sentences around the wrong way, that's not important to them. But coming in looking like you've, you've never looked at the piece before you come in. I mean, I've sat in auditions for Shakespeare where an actor's come in and the director says, you know, we're auditioning for Twelfth Night, you know. And an actor will come in and the director says, so, do you know the play? Well, no, not really. <laughs> but it's Twelfth Night. <laughs> What's not to know? Why didn't you, even if you haven't read it, which you should have done before you come into audition, couldn't you Wikipedia it the night before? I mean, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's much easier nowadays than when you used to have to find a copy in the library, you know, or find a friend who had it. But I, I just don't understand that, that attitude when everyone is 
you know, always complaining there's not enough work for actors and actors aren't doing themselves, you know, aren't giving themselves the best chance. You mentioned earlier that people come in with nerves and that, that is a skill in itself, learning to conquer that and to yeah. relax in the room. Is that something you have to take into consideration when you're talking to people in an audition or you're... My, part of my job is to try and make the audition go as smoothly as possible. So we're always... Um, the, the person I have, my assistant outside the room, will always tell me if somebody's beside themselves with nerves or really? you know, can't cope. And we'll try and make that as easy for them as possible. Um, we try very hard... Um, you know, the person outside the room is is part of my team. It's not just some random person who's just ticking names off. And they will try very hard to talk to them and try and calm them down or suggest they move away from the, you know, all the people who are sitting outside if it's getting very chatty and noisy and everything. Um, and we might say to the team, you know, before they come in, oh gosh, this person, you know, we've auditioned a lot, but they're not very good. They're, they're very bad because of their nerves you know they'll be much better if you chat to them and sometimes the director can adjust that and sometimes they don't you know it just just depends but um it's it's important for me that everybody does their best because that reflects on what we do mm. as well and if we bring in five people who can't speak because they're in a puddle on the floor with nerves then it doesn't it doesn't do us any favor you know yeah of course yeah uh, wh- where do you stand on um if you're not feeling well whether you say it or not. I always say to the people, I'd always advise them to say to my assistant outside, look, I've had the flu or I've got tonsillitis or, you know, whatever it is. And she'll tell me or he'll tell me and then I'll decide whether it's worth telling the team or not. Um, And sometimes it's best to tell them in advance and sometimes it's best to wait till people sing because sometimes people think they're really not sounding great when they come in and it doesn't show mm. I mean I, you know you, as singers you know that there are some sometimes you might have a terrible cold but if you're singing a certain type of song it might just miss wherever that's sitting in your voice and it's best not to tell the team then and, and a decent MD can hear if someone can't sing or if they've got a cold can you sing? Me? No. I mean, I did as a teenager. I had a guitar and I used to sing folk songs, you know, and, and, and entertain old people in Basildon. But bless them, probably they wouldn't want to remember that. They, you know. We were going to ask you to prepare a song and yeah. maybe get, send you a couple of sides. A couple of sides, yeah. yeah. Sides I can just, read straight off. Just but. a lovely moment to turn the tables. <laughs> one, one day those, all those, those casting directors will all get together and we'll all sing for you and, and you'll leave very hurriedly. <laughs> We interviewed uh, recently Sasha Regan at the Union Theatre and whilst we were chatting to her she was talking about auditions and she said she's had people walk in the room before and who have pretty much got the job but they've talked themselves out of it by their air because at the end of the day you're looking at someone who you want to work with. That's really important. Mm. Attitude is a really odd thing that, that teams you know, of creative people pick up on very quickly. So somebody might be perfect for the role and everybody thinks they're going to get it and they come in and just by their manner, it'll put people off. I've seen it happen several times. And I've also seen it happen um, sometimes for for no reason um, that anyone can control. You might have to sit outside a room for a very long time um, waiting to come in for your audition. And I've known people behave very badly outside rooms because my assistant will tell me if people are behaving badly or being horrid to other actors outside. Um, Now, I wouldn't tell that to the team before they come in, but you'd be surprised how much 
the team pick up on that, even if I don't say anything. So there's something weird that goes on, that sort of aura that people have. And, and I have known people talk themselves out of jobs, uh, particularly when they start uh, complaining about their current job or previous job, or saying how much they hated doing something, or how much they wish they hadn't worked for a certain producer. You never know who's connected to who. So actors ought to be very careful about what they say. Mm. Just come in and be polite and... and, and I don't know, enthusiastic would be great. And there's another thing that happens um, where a director will say to an actor, so, what are you doing at the moment? And they don't want to know that you're working at Tesco's or in a call centre, or they want to know what your last job was. They're asking you about what you've been doing as an actor, mm. but actors sort of go completely blank and can't, can't think, oh, I haven't done anything, and it's been really quiet, and I haven't had any auditions, and everybody go, no, stop now! <laughs> believe they're asking you about you, you as a performer not about you as a, an out of work performer <laughs> I've always been tempted in my head when, when I hear that to, to at the end go and what have you been up to recently yeah. <laughs> so but you realise they tell you yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah I've just had a to, long audition yeah, 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 of course. it feels like the industry is going in a direction where social media is becoming very important for performers in terms of selling themselves as a package how do you feel about that side of things is it really all it's hyped up to be is Do you mean how many Twitter followers does somebody yeah. have? No, I don't think it makes any difference at all. However, if you're on the X Factor every Saturday and and um, you know people are talking about you because you're in the in the newspaper, of course it makes a difference to a commercial show, but not generally. It doesn't. I've never had anyone ask me how many Twitter followers followers has someone got. Um, but the interesting thing about social media is how it can um, be a bad thing for performers. Be very careful what you say on social media. Be really, really careful. Um, and the really awkward thing from the audition end of the story, as it were, is I've lost count of the number of times an actor has put on Facebook or Twitter that they've got a job before I've even had chance to tell my second choice they haven't got the job. And those performers get very upset, and the agents get very cross about it. And I have to say, I, you know, I couldn't do it that fast. And I think that's it shows a real lack of respect for fellow performers announcing what you've got. So I think a lot of shows now say you mustn't put anything on any social media at all until they allow you, and that's usually halfway through rehearsals. So it's you know it's it's sort of flipped the other way. But performers do say very silly things. What are the things that people can do to be proactive if they're uh, going through patches where they're not working, or even mm. when they are very busy and they just want to be constantly improving their brand as such? If it's not about Twitter and stuff, are, is it important to have a brand? I don't know if it's if a brand is the right term. What's really important, I think, if you, no matter whether you're out of work or in work, is that you're constantly trying to improve your craft. And that that could mean, you know, watching a lot of old films or, or going to an understudy run if you've got a friend in the show or getting a cheap seat to see something that you wouldn't normally go and see and taking note of those performers and what they're doing and why that's good or you maybe don't like it. Nobody has to like everything. Um, I never mind actors emailing me and saying, um, you know, I'm in a show in the fr on the fringe you know, you probably can't come and see it, but I'd just like to let you know that it's here and, you know, I'm, I'm still doing things. And I think fringe things are so great for actors to do because you get to do such interesting work. It doesn't have to be commercial to be good. 
you know, I mean, most of what I do is commercial theatre, but there's some fantastic stuff on the fringe, and I've seen some really, really excellent performances. And the actors probably, you know, have just about scraped by paying their tube fares, but it's a great credit on your CV. Is there anything you can do if you're in the situation where you're, let's say you're casting a show, and your agent is telling the, you as the performer, I've put you up for it, but you, they just, they're not seeing you. Is there anything you can do in that situation? Should you consider contacting the casting director? Is that a taboo? I don't think it is. I, don't, I really don't mind an, an actor emailing me saying, I know my agent's put me up for this. I haven't got an audition so far, but this is why I'm terrific for the role. But only if you are right for the role. Yeah. Mm. And I think a lot of actors don't listen to what their agent's saying. You know, she, maybe your agent is saying, they won't see you because... They're looking for somebody who's six foot yeah. and a baritone and you're five foot six and a bass. Yeah. It's, you know, there's, there's no point in, in agonising over it. I think you have to be realistic as a performer and see what you're right for and go all out to get jobs you're right for rather than trying to get jobs that you're not right for and agonising over it. You know, if you're right for Sandy in Greece, then you're probably not right for Meg Giri. <laughs> You know? Unless you're Ben Morris. Unless you're Ben Morris. <laughs> if you're no. right for Nick in fame, Thank you, you're Debbie. probably not right for one of the singers in Thriller Live. That's just how it goes. Those roles aren't the same. So don't, Unless you're Ben Morris. Unless you're Ben Morris. Refrain yeah. <laughs> again. You know, you do have to be realistic about it. And, and when you're getting, you know, 5,000 suggestions for a show, then obviously I'm not going to have very much time to see everyone, so I'm only going to see the people who are closest to what we need. It's easy, slightly easier in musicals in that you can, um, because we tend to see so many people and you get such a, a small amount of time to, to do your first round audition, you know, when you're singing, you're lucky if you get five minutes. But it means that an agent can ring me up and say, look, this person's just graduated and you won't have picked them up because this isn't on their CV, but I think you should see them because... Now, if that's a good agent that I trust, then I might say, OK, well, it's only five minutes. Let's squeeze them in. If I'm doing auditions for a Shakespeare play, I've probably got 20 or 30 minutes for each person to do that. And I can only see 15 people in a day. I haven't got the chance to to take a chance on someone so much. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a question of looking at the practicalities as well. But I never mind an actor writing me saying, you know, this is why I should be in the show. But as I say, don't waste, don't waste your energy going for stuff that you're not ever going to get. Try really hard to get the stuff that, that you're right for that I've missed. Or no. The thing that, that you constantly hear in the industry it, is that if you're, if you're training musical theatre, it's, you know, it's going to be tough to get seen for this, but like straight acting and vice versa. Do you, think, do you think there is a snobbery that exists or is it just a case of what you've just said, I have to see the people who are most right for the job? Absolutely. There's not, there is a, a snobbery uh, for some people, but I've just cast a show up at Coventry uh, in the studio, uh, which was five women in that. And it was a, an acting piece. It was a new piece of drama called Red Snapper. And out of those five performers, four of them you would have said who got the job in the end and who were brilliant. It was the most extraordinary piece of work. And out of those five, four, you would have said, were musical theatre people. And they were extraordinary in it. So, you know, it happens, but it's, it's hard when, um, you know, you've only got so much time in a day and you've got 
30 people who've graduated from RADA and um, 60 have graduated from Mountview or something, you know, on the musical theatre course, the chances are the director's going to go for the people who've come from RADA. I mean, yeah. you know, not always. I always try and mix them, but, you know, it's just the way it falls, to be honest. Well, for you, what, what do you think makes a good agent? Um, a good agent is someone who's got good taste, I always think, and who works hard and goes to see things and has an eye for things. You know, um, there are some agents I can call up. If I need something very specific, like, uh, okay, I've got a show where I need a dancer and they've got to be able to do this style and that style and this. There are certain agents I can call up and say, look, this is what I'm looking for. And they'll say, oh, well, there's no point in seeing these people, but this person is exactly what you're looking for. And so knowing their stuff. And from your point of view, you need an agent who's pushy, but not um, over pushy, as it were. I mean, I really, an agent who rings me up and says, you haven't picked up on these people, would you see them? And I'm just, I'm just doing a nudge for these people. That's great. You know, I, I'm, that's terrific from my point of view. Why is, why is that? Because I might, you know, there may be a thousand people put up for a show and if an agent says I think you've missed this person because um, you know they're new and you haven't seen them because they've been away for a year or do you know something like that mm. then I'm always prepared to look at the CV again you know and then maybe I'll see them maybe I won't but it's great but there are some agents who just put up what looks like their entire client list for some roles and you just go that's well I'm not I don't trust you if you're if you I don't believe that you've got 42 girls who can sing Pearl in Starlight Express I don't believe you mm. you know <laughs> so I can't look at them you know <laughs> because they're not going to be right <laughs> whereas if someone rings up and says I've got the one person that you nearly got this role and nearly got that and therefore you should see them for this then I'm going to look at them seriously <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every Sunday. And if you're subscribed, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. Whether you're using an iPhone or an Android or a laptop of some kind, it's easy to subscribe. All you need to do is go to your normal podcast app. If it's an iPhone, then next to the logo of our show, you'll see a little settings wheel that looks like a cog. Click on that. A few options down, it says subscribe. Or if you're using an Android phone, then on the Double Pod app, next to the logo of our show is the subscribe button. Easy as that. And the best part is it's totally free. Make sure you stay tuned right to the end of this episode and you'll hear a clip revealing who's on next week's show. Now back to our chat with Debbie. Uh, me as a performer when we went through Mount View I, I got to the end and I felt like oh there are some songs that I never want to hear again because I've heard them sung so many times <laughs> you must have that by now with certain male and female songs does that exist? Um, it does for, more for the MDs than it does for me to be honest right. because the MDs have you know things that they don't know why people keep singing certain songs but I'm not going to tell you what they are now here on the radio but MDs will tell you yeah exactly and and basically it's because they either are way too long for an audition or they don't show what you can do or the pianist is never going to be able to play them and give you uh, I mean there are Jason Robert Brown songs for auditions are really hard and I understand why performers want to do them but if your pianist is you know you're the 40th person of the day and you're expecting a pianist to sight read a Jason Robert Brown song that they've never done before. There's very few pianists in the West End 
who would be able to do that? I mean, there are some, but it doesn't give you the best chance, you know. Is it? Do you believe that the audition starts the second the door opens? No, it starts outside. Oh, okay. Even earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't, don't think that my assistants don't let me know what you like outside. Yes, yeah, of course. That's why I have them as assistants, you know. Um, but certainly, the way you walk across the room, how you behave towards the pianist, or if, if it's for a play, the fact that you've, you sit down and you've got a, a copy of the script that quite clearly has been read, um, and uh, you know, you've done your work, that makes such a difference before you even open your mouth. And the question, so what have you been doing recently? If you can converse with the director, I always think that helps, because they, they're going to spend several weeks with you, so they want to know that you're someone they can have a connection with. Because you as a whole person is who we're employing. And if you've got a view on things, you know, you've got, some, you've got something in your bag, as it were, that you can bring to things. If you know a bit about the outside world, if, if you know a bit about current events, that all goes to making you up, you up as a person, as it were. And that helps with your performance. And the more um, culture you have inside you, the better you are as a performer. You're going to get a whole lot of actors walking in the room with the telegraph on. I know, I'm waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of uh, performers decide um, at different points, this is the kind of stuff that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And they hold out for that. So be it, I only want to work in TV. I only want to work in um, uh, a West End show or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. What's your view on that? How much control do performers really have? On their career, I think every th- every show you do as a performer helps make you a better performer if you learn from it, um, and so the variety is what's important. And the, you know, just the Olivier Awards the other day, there were people there who have done everything and won awards. You know, and that's that's really fantastic to watch. To say I only want to do, do film, for instance, is very limiting for an actor. I n- know somebody at the moment who has been a huge success in. Um, a, a very important drama in the West End who when she was a teenager said to me I only ever want to work in film I don't want to do anything else uh, and luckily had a sensible agent who said to her no no hang, actually I think probably working for these little companies like the National and stuff probably quite <laughs> and she has been nominated for awards and everything and you know if she'd been single minded about it she wouldn't have had those opportunities so I think it's important I, don't, I think you have to be you have to look at a project and say, what am I going to get out of this? But I don't think you should turn it down just on the basis that um, it's not exactly what you want to do. Because also, small jobs lead on to bigger jobs, mm. in my experience. If you're offered a job as an actor and you're taking another option, you hear this rumour of blacklisting. Does that exist for things like that? For turning shows down, no. I, I think what is it really important as a performer to not be rude about things. Um, so... If you don't want to do a job, then just say you don't want to do it. But don't turn it down having come for the audition and then say, actually, I don't want to tour, when it was always a tour. Mm. That drives people insane. Um, And uh, the other thing is taking a job and then carrying on auditioning for other things. That drives everybody mad. That must get fed back to you. You must hear it. Yes, it does, in which case, you you know, you never trust that actor again. Um, But... Then, that, then trying to pull out of shows that you've committed to uh, is very bad, and very bad for the agent as well. And you shouldn't do it. You know, well, well, you know that would be like me saying, "I've cast you, but actually, I've changed my mind. I've found someone better." Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. How would you feel? Yeah, <laughs> you know? of course. So it's just the the other side. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, is show business, in your opinion, a game you need to learn how to play? Absolutely. 
And in what way? Why do you think that? You have to, you have to learn how to do it properly. Um, but it's a job as well. I think people forget sometimes that, that certain behaviour that we put up with in show business, as it's called, uh, you wouldn't get away with in any other industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a job, but you have to be prepared and uh, energetic and enthusiastic and keep training and all that. And, um, you know, with your agent, just be clear with them what you want and, and listen to them. Agents are really good at giving advice to actors and they'll quite often turn it down or just ignore it but the agent knows the other side usually they know what people are looking for so listen to them and just be aware of of the industry as a whole rather than just you as a person just sort of forging through in your own path just have a think about what's around you and as for star quality is that something you can learn well i don't know if you can whether people just have it sometimes it just takes a while as well i think some people have it when they're 18 and some Mm. people suddenly you know when they're 45 you suddenly go wow where have they been all this time you know it's it comes to i think people grow into themselves sometimes so some people uh, come in for auditions when they've just left drama school and you think you know when they're 30 they're going to be really employable at the moment it doesn't quite they don't quite fit anywhere but you know what, when, when they're 30, that's, there's going to be lots of roles for them. It's, it's interesting. But star quality, so few people have it, I think. Mm. But, um, Your whole family are involved in the theatre. Yeah. Were you happy about that? Or? They, didn't know, they don't really know anything else. Actually, my whole family aren't entirely involved in theatre. My middle son has just done his PhD in politics at the LSE, but he had done a lot of acting as a child. Um, but I think probably if you asked him what he was, he'd probably still say he was an actor. <laughs> um, but they, they, they just grew up in it. I mean, my family, my parents were nothing to do with theatre. My dad was a teacher. My mum, her family all worked uh, in the mines, in, actually in Easington, which is where Billy Elliot sat. Um, and uh, my husband's family were nothing to do with theatre at all. We both sort of fell into it. Um, but my children will tell you that they've worked in my office since they were pretty much old enough to do their ABCs sorting CVs so in a way there was very little they were going to do that was not um, linked to theatre. They've, they've had some great times and they've had some really lean times and that's what we all go through all the time in theatre and as freelancers you know and, and all you can hope is that you come out the other side and you've somehow kept your sanity really and that somebody will look after you in your old age. Who knows? <laughs> but I, you know you can't tell people. I think if you've got a feeling for theatre you're going to do it. So there's no point in forcing people to become accountants or something, you know. What do you do when you are not being a casting director? How do you switch off? Because there are actors and models and everything, everywhere we look. <laughs> Films, TV, posters, you know, everything you look at. I cook and I make jam. <laughs> do you? Yeah. <laughs> you good? You good cook? I'm all right. What's your best dish? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a baker. I'm, I'd be no good on baker. Bake Off, but Master I, Chef. I'm pretty good on, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty all right on good, but, but you can ask Claire or anyone who works in my office, Nikki, but they will tell you that my kitchen, because we have the office at home, my kitchen is just full of jam, and anyone who comes to visit gets jam foisted on them. Oh, well, thank you for not bringing us jam. <laughs> just brought you jam, I know. <laughs> all I want is jam now. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's, a, there's an actor who, who uh, makes chutney that I know, and when he, he occasionally brings chutney in, and we swap at auditions. Nice So move. that's where you're going wrong. <laughs> you're noting us down. Totally. I'm going to learn how to make chutney. So, but are you, can you enjoy TV? Do you, do you enjoy going to the theatre, or are you always working I in I do brain? enjoy going to the theatre. I, I went to 
see something the other night, I have to be honest, um, just because uh, my middle son had just done his PhD and his treat was to go and see this particular show. He said, I really want to go and see it. And we turned up and there were four understudies on. Uh, and the uh, and I often see understudies, that's not a problem, but the lead guy was terrific, he really was. Um, but the programme was out of date and the signage that was up didn't list all the understudies and I was really cross. I got very grump, grumpy off-duty casting director because I couldn't, I had to work out who was on stage. And there were people in the show who aren't in the programme at all, so that really upset me. But um, I, can, I can enjoy the theatre, but uh, the easiest thing for me to go and do is to go and see a film. I, that doesn't feel like work to me. If there's people listening to this who are sitting there thinking, I think I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in becoming a casting director or working in the world of casting. What would be your advice to them? I don't know any casting directors who've done it um, in any career path. Yeah. They've sort of been asked to do it because they were doing something else. And certainly it, that's the way my career's gone. And I think if you talk to a lot of the other casting directors who work in the West End, they'll tell you the same. There was a company manager or somebody was a resident director or somebody worked you know, for the producer and then it, gradually they started doing casting and did it like that. So my real advice would be to get as much experience doing anything in theatre you can. Part of what you're doing as casting is knowing who's around and what people can achieve and, and what works. So the more other things you've done the better your view becomes, really. And you have to get really organised and you have to know how to, to work a computer these days. Uh, so you might as well get as many office skills as we Because most of what we do, don't forget, is in the office and on the telephone. You know, the majority of our work is doing that. And research, being, you know, researching how you can how you can find performers or, or, for instance, when you're doing children's casting on Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, we do auditions around the country for the little boy in it. And finding that child in some places, I mean, it's dead easy in Oxford. It's really hard in London, no. And finding who to talk to and all of that, you've got to be quite persistent at that sort of thing. And so the more office work you've done, the better you are at doing that side of the job. And that's so much of the job that, you know, you need to get that sort of experience under your belt. But I don't know of any proper route into casting. Maybe being an assistant with someone, but I don't know how you do that if you don't have all those other skills, really. Debbie, thank you so much for Great taking pleasure. the time to come and speak to us. <laughs> it's very rare that people get an opportunity to, to get that kind of advice. So thank you for travelling to this very glamorous place somewhere in the outskirts of Victoria. <laughs> I feel like... Is I'm, it even I, Victoria? I'm not I sure I don't it is. know. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the Phoenix Club from yeah, <laughs> Phoenix Nights. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. A massive thank you to Debbie for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, it was fantastic to see her and ask all those questions uh, and actually see her and chat to her not in an audition situation, which is when Ben and I have normally encountered her um, being paranoid about what the panel are thinking about us. Uh, so, Debbie, thank you very, very much. Also, a massive thank you to you, our listeners. We have listeners all around the world, thousands of you out there listening to us. So get in contact with us. We love to hear what you think of the show on Twitter at Inside West End. Thank you to you guys who have already written reviews on iTunes about what we're doing. We really appreciate it. It really helps us keep the momentum going and keeping us in the charts. So thanks to you guys. Uh, word of mouth also helps that. If you know anyone who likes theatre or likes listening to podcasts generally, tell them about what we're doing. Uh, we've lined up some really exciting guests for the upcoming episodes. So spread the word. 
Remember to stay tuned to the very end for a clip of the next episode. But before that, we make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you'd like to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit insidethewestend.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on insidethewestend.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. Now, as promised, we have a clip of the next episode. He's been in Phantom of the Opera for 25 years and counting. He's just been awarded the Guinness World Record for the longest time spent in the same production. It's Philip Griffiths. 25 years later, mm-hmm. when the orchestra starts warming up, do you still get excited? Yeah, because I'm the first person on that stage. Of course. The minute you have the announcement out front, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Majesty's Theatre, etc., 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 the lights go down and it's a blackout. I'm the first person that walks on that stage. Yeah.